Welcome to On the Spot with Melinda Garvey, the On the Dot interview series where we sit down with some of the most intriguing and interesting women to watch featured in our daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On the Dot. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode of On the Spot, now available every Thursday on your favorite podcast streaming services. Today, we're talking about women and money with financial planner and author of the book, It's Good to Be Queen, Rosalind Wilkinson. Without further ado, let's start the show. Welcome to On the Spot with Melinda Garvey. I am your host and founder of On the Dot and really excited to be here with you today. As you all know, our mission is to bring relatable role models right to you so that you can learn from their path and see what these other incredible women have done. And today I'm really excited that we have with us Rosalind Wilkinson and we're going to talk about money today. And I know that money seems to always be, I don't know why, but this taboo subject. And I love that it's becoming less taboo. You're seeing people talk about it more and that's super important. And so we are going to contribute to that by making sure that we are talking about it and especially women and money and help overcome some of those hurdles that we have. So welcome, Rosalind. Really excited to have you here today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, so tell us a little bit about you and your path and how you got into the whole financial planning world. Well, I got started in the financial services business right out of college, but I was on the health insurance side. And even though that was a really dynamic time to be in that business, it wasn't fun. So I went and got my MBA at the University of Pittsburgh. And after that, I decided to go into the financial planning and helping women, because we know women have more challenges with money than men do, getting them excited and engaged. And my personal message is that I'm concerned that little girls and women are still being told and taught to be little princesses. So I want to help them become engaged and instead think about being the queen instead of marrying Prince Charming. It doesn't have to be daunting. The one thing that keeps women from really taking control of their financial future is their lack of confidence. So we just want them to to think that they can do it because it doesn't have to be complicated. It's really no more complicated than eighth grade math. Well, and it's interesting that you talk about the lack of confidence. I think that in so many of the things that we discuss here, all different kinds of businesses and getting ahead in business that, you know, a key factor is this confidence gap. Yes. That's really the problem that we're trying to solve by bringing all these women together Mm -hmm. and letting other women see and hear from, because you're right. So much of it is just in our head. And I know that you actually have a book. I love the name of your book. Tell us. Tell us. Um, well, it's called, uh, It's Good to Be Queen, Every Woman's Pocket Guide to Financial Sovereignty. And like I mentioned, I think little girls are still being taught to be princesses. I mean, you can see it, even grown women are still carrying that fantasy around, or at least the idea of it. And my most recent example is America's captivation with the British royal family and what the princesses are up to. And not that they're not wonderful women, but can we focus on something else? Can we focus on some basic things? And little boys aren't being taught to be Prince Charming, right? They're little boys, when they're growing up, maybe they look like a grown up and they're like, oh, you look like such a big boy. But nobody ever says to a little boy, oh, you look like Prince Charming. So I really just want young women, old women, any women to be engaged in the process because we know that women are going to live longer than men. We know that they've been challenged because they've only made 80% of what men have made throughout their careers, probably got less in savings just because they've earned less over the years. So they have all these challenges, but it doesn't have to be complicated. But I'd like women to think about it in terms of their financial health is like their physical health, right? Your finances and your health are going to be with you your whole life. So don't abdicate those decisions, just be engaged in them. 
What do you find are the biggest challenges that women are facing or when they come to you and you're talking to them? What are those things that you hear over and over again? Well, sadly, I hear women say, oh, my eyes just glaze over. I don't want to think about it. Or they defer to their husbands. And we know that like in a couple relationship with financial advisors, that once the husband passes away, typically the wife leaves the financial advisor because he's not been speaking to her. And sadly, in my profession, it's still about 90% men. So you have to find a female advisor and then you have to be sure that she's taking you seriously and looking out for your goals and not just deferring to your husband or partner or whoever that might be. Well, and it's interesting what you said about just the wage gap and certainly finding a financial investor that actually takes that into consideration and understands that gap. You know, I think it's interesting. We just recently had an event called Girls Just Want to Have Funds. It was really about women in funding for entrepreneurial ventures. This whole talk about money, because much like what you just said about we really need to find those female financial planners who mm-hmm. really are, you know, making, not only making women feel comfortable speaking their language, really showing them that role model that you can understand this and, and mm-hmm. do this. And, you know, we were finding that it's really the same when you're talking about women becoming investors, they're really not ever asked to the table. Right. You know, never talking to them about this. So it's not that they're risk adverse, they just analyze things a little bit differently. But the challenges are enormous, right? Because they are making less. And I think that women or men, anybody doesn't really necessarily think of the follow-on consequences of that, right? So assuming I'm doing the same job as a gentleman, we know that I'm still making 80 cents on the dollar that he's making. So how does that play out? Well, that means my social security benefits are going to be less. It means there are going to be lower contributions to my retirement plan. And those numbers really add up over the years. So if you're starting behind, it's very, very difficult to catch up. In terms of those step-by-step, how do you coach? Even, you know, you talk about, you know, young girls. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you actually talk to really young women and, you know, how they can start early and take those steps? What's that advice? Well, I would talk to anybody because it's my mission. It's simple stuff. I mean, I think that when people think about financial planning, they jump right to thinking about investments. But investments are just a small component of a financial plan. You need to know how much it costs you to live, know what kind of debt you have. And mostly you just need to think about your goals. And I think little girls maybe are taught more about what their goals might be, short-term, mid-term, long-term, to think in that way. But I know several women, mature women, who are like, well, what are your goals? And they'll say, Rosalind, nobody ever asked me that before which is shocking and alarming. But I do think little girls and certainly career women, you set goals in your business and your job. So how can we translate those things and then put together a plan step-by-step to get you there? So when you factor in what's happening, you know, really right now, which is the largest transference of wealth. So we all know that women make what 85 plus percent of all purchase decisions already. So we know how to do that. But that transference of wealth is happening. What kinds of things just in your, I guess, industry, what's the buzz, not just among female investment advisors, but even male investment advisors, like how to take on this problem? Because if women are actually going to be holding all the money and it's happening right now, how do you make that big transition? Well, I think there are a couple of things to that. One is that the situation is the same as far as men talking to women or women talking to women, right? Um, the, The issues are the same. And even though my book is directed toward women and that's the slant on it, math is gender neutral, right? So it applies to everybody. You need to be engaged in your finances and take control of those and understand them. 
But the transfer of wealth, we know, like you said, women are making 85% of those financial decisions. They are actively engaged in the big purchases, right? If there's a minivan to be bought, they are there. But when it comes to the long-term planning, they are still deferring those decisions to their husbands, partners, fathers, you know, brothers, best friends, son who just graduated from college and getting started in the business. I mean, (laughs) and they've got other stuff to do, right? I mean, it's not like they're not busy. It's not like they're abdicating. Their days are full. So I don't have the data to support this, but it's my contention that if two parents are working outside the home, that they both got a lot on their plate. And we know that women are still doing 60, 70, 80% of the work at home, even if they're working full-time outside the home. So I think if I'm a busy mom and I'm working outside the home and I've got little kids that anything my partner will take off my plate, I'm willing to give him, right? So maybe he wants to take the 401k and certainly if I'm a stay-at-home mom, he's the one that's got the opportunity for the 401k. So that's just like, great, take that and I'll, you know, do all the other stuff. Well, it is interesting. Several months ago, I was at an event where Sally Krawcheck was speaking. Uh Uh-huh. You know, she's a former, like a CEO of Merrill Lynch, right, and she right. uh, also now has a company called Elvis and really has that right. gender lens, really focusing on how do you work with women and overcome some of these things like the the pay gap and, and right. accelerate their investment and really make it interesting and involved. And she said something to me that really, really struck me. And I think we're always looking for ways, like how do you get women interested in this and really make it about them? And so she right. put it out to us. She said, look, I don't care who your investment advisor is, whether it's Merrill Lynch or Edward Jones or right. Bank of America or whoever it is. Right. Well, she asked us to raise our hands. How many of you know of your investment portfolio, which of those companies have women in leadership? I mean, I am steeped in this, right? right. It never right. occurred to me to look at it that way. Mm-hmm. But I did. I actually called up my investment advisor. I was like, okay, it is a man. He was so on board. Man, he came with all kinds of information and then also gave me information about what other female-led companies to invest into. And I will say that it gave it some personalization for me. It made me think, right. you know, I really like this. And I like that my portfolio is investing in women-led companies. It kind of gave a lens on it. So when you're talking about how do we get women excited? Like, how do we make women, even though we're so busy, want to be a part of this? Well, I think it's um, once you get over the fear, once you feel like you can understand this, that we can do all sorts of sophisticated financial projections, right? The endless ideas that projections you can do forecasts, but it doesn't have to be that complicated. So if you can get engaged, if you find something that you're interested in, if you'll just be part of the conversation, I think a lot of people, men and women, but particularly women, feel intimidated. And if they are working with a financial advisor, like, oh, my questions are stupid. Oh, I can't understand this, right? It's your money. If you have any questions, you should be asking any questions that you've got, like calling up your financial advisor and saying, you know, what about this? And it's another challenge, like what we know that there isn't the representative in the C-suites and on the boards of women but there is a whole movement. It's been growing and growing over the years for socially responsible and investing, looking at the environment, looking at diversity. And so maybe you want that as part of your portfolio and maybe that'll get you engaged. I think investing in things that you're passionate about, there's certainly plenty yeah. of things out there that are doing great that you can get excited about and excited yeah. about investing in. Absolutely. Um, and, and giving that opportunity. And I think that, you know, to your point of sort of women thinking about things differently and the financial advisor has to make that pivot as well, because mm-hmm. it's like, how do you get that engagement? And it's really about personalizing the experience. 
And the more money you have in your name, I think the more responsibility you'll feel for it and the more engaged you'll be in it. But I think a lot of it happens accidentally. So for example, many times you see if a parent's stay-at-home spouse, or even if both parents are working outside the home, the wife stops working because of daycare expenses. And they figure out, well, we're paying more in daycare than if she were working outside the home. So we're going to have her stay at home. And so what's happening when she's staying at home? She's not saving at all. So no money is accumulating in her name. So how much incentive does she actually have to be paying attention, right? If she's working at her spouse, paying attention. But I do think it's just the more you get engaged, the more interesting you find it, or the more that you really understand you have to do this, right? Think about it like your health. What is a situation where you would come home from the doctor and say to your partner, oh, I was just diagnosed with blah, blah, blah. You handle it from here, right? You, you handle it from here. You make the doctor's appointments. You decide the prescriptions. You determine the surgery. You find the doctors. You take it from here. Who would do that, right? Most women would never, ever do that. Right. You want your partner's support, but you're not going to abdicate the physical decision. So can we think about it like our health, since your health and your money is going to be with you your whole life? That's right. It's like everything else we talk about vis-a-vis this women's movement and mm-hmm. women's advancement is that we've got to take a seat at the table. Exactly. I mean, we have to in, in, in every aspect. And certainly, Absolutely. whether we like it or not, money is still a key factor. And understanding money and growing that money and being comfortable with that money is a key right. factor to long-term success. It just is. Absolutely. I mean, bad things happen to good people, right? You don't know if you're going to be divorced. You don't know if you'll be you know, widowed on your own. We know at some point in their lives, women are going to have to manage their own money for whatever reason. And just to feel in control and not be afraid because the more educated you get, the less fear you have. And I think people will defer to somebody else if that person feels more confident. And we know that, you know, men are more confident or more confident saying that they know more, whether they know more or not. Mm-hmm. Not to bash men or anything like right. that, but I've mentioned it to men. I'm like, and it took me a long time to understand that, that many men will like gross up their skill by like anywhere from 30% to 300%. So you're like, oh, wow, they must know more. But that's not necessarily the case at all. Well, I'd love to talk about, I saw an article that you did online kind of talking to millennial women. Mm-hmm. And recently I heard about a, a woman was starting this business and she was actually creating a playbook for millennials that literally talked about things like, how to balance a checkbook, how to rent an apartment. I mean, some really basic things and a lot of it having to do with financial. And I guess I was a little blown back by that just because I thought, oh my gosh, how do we have this deficit? And what does that then mean? I mean, this is the largest group of women in the workforce. We talk a lot about the financial struggles that these women have, but they're also carrying Louis Vuitton purses. I was eating ramen noodles, saving for my first house. What's that deficit going to do? You're right. I I don't know what it's like in Texas, but certainly in Pennsylvania, we're still not teaching middle school kids, teenage kids, what interest rates are all about. We're not teaching them those things. How do you balance a checkbook? How do you live within your means? How do you start to save? And I think sometimes people get sad because the answers aren't necessarily very glamorous, right? Live within your means. And I think people will make assumptions about other people and be like, oh, well, she has a Louis Vuitton purse or she has a Prada bag, whatever it might be. People assume, well, then if somebody's got nice stuff, well, then they've got a lot of money or they make a lot of money. But that's not necessarily the case at all. Most people that I've come across that have a lot of great stuff don't have any money in the bank, right? And they've got these enormous credit card bills. So 
you know, knowing what your goals are because it's your money and you have to be responsible for your goals and getting where you want to go. You have to save more, you have to spend less, and you have to plan wisely. That's not a fun answer, right? The fun answer is, oh, I'll play the market and I'll make a lot of money in the market. That's not the case. You need something that you understand that you can take control of. But you're right, it's a problem. Well, I think it goes back to, quite frankly, making it exciting and making it just as exciting to you know, talk about your portfolio because it's okay to talk about money. And I think that's another hurdle with women is it is okay to talk about that because then it does get exciting because then you can say, well, I may not have a Louis Vuitton purse to show for it, but look at my portfolio, right? So absolutely, I love what you said about financial literacy, like with young people, because it's like, why don't we have that? And I actually have a friend Mm -hmm. who is a big advocate for that and has tried to advocate for that nationally, Sharon Lecter. She does a lot in the financial literacy world. You know, it should be something we teach our kids. Right. It seems like such an obvious thing, but kids graduate and they don't understand interest rates and how important it is, whether you're paying 2%, you know, if you're making 2% on your CD, but you're paying, you know, 5% on your car loan, 20% on your credit card bills, you know, like, and it's a knowledge is power thing, right? Because the more knowledge you have, the more fun it can be because the more power you feel like you have in control. So I think that also helps. It all feeds together. Yeah, absolutely. As we're kind of closing up here, I would love for you to just give us one or two nuggets, like those go-to pieces of advice or things that every woman can easily start tomorrow. Figure out how much it costs you to live, because then you'll know where your money is going. And what are the basics? What is, you know, your light bill cost and what is food cost and your living expenses? Because then you'll know how much money you have left over. You'll be surprised at where the money is going. Money's disappearing. Until you write it all down or figure it out, you don't know. And that's tedious. And I appreciate that. And people are like, I don't really want to know. But you need to know because that (laughs) is fundamental to saving and growing your wealth. So that's the first thing. And what are your goals? Identify your goals, short-term, mid-term, long-term. You can change your plan at any time, but let's start to focus on something. How much money do you need and when do you need it? And then we can map it out from there and put together a plan, just like you would do in your job, right? What are our goals, short-term, mid-term, long-term, and how are we going to get there? When I sit down and think about my financial goals, vis-a-vis, you know, what I'm spending, I always find that, like, I'm often not spending on the things that I want to do. For example, you know, I want to travel more. I'm like, why am I not doing that? Why am I doing this over here? And so I I think that sometimes, like you said, we surprise ourselves like, well, wait a minute. And I have enough money. I could certainly do that, but I'm blowing it over here on something I don't care about. So I think just that heightened awareness, you know, just being a really conscious, you know, Mm -hmm. what am I spending my money on? Right. Can't be a Starbucks every day because that does get really expensive. (laughs) As much as I like Starbucks, I think, gosh, that really has probably ruined a lot of people's financial lives. Right. (laughs) Right. It is wicked expensive. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. So can you tell all our listeners where they can find you and find more information? You've got lots of great articles and, you know, lots of great advice on your website. Well, the book is available on Amazon. It's only $14.95 and you can probably read it in an hour. Some financial books are like three, 400 pages. It'll take you longer to do the exercises, but you can like see the plan and what you have to map out it's fast. And there are cartoons, right? So how many financial planning books have cartoons in them? (laughs) Yes, it's called It's Good to Be Queen. You're going to be queen of your castle. You're going to... Exactly. Right. Or you can go to our website, Good to Be Queen. So G-O-O-D, the number two, the letter B, and then queen.com. 
And my contact information is on there. So, you know, 50% of the reason I wrote that book is my mission. My mission is to help women get engaged and feel empowered and control and to take ownership of that part of their lives, just like they do the rest of their lives and their careers. We just need to get them started. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rosalind. We so appreciate your time today and appreciate the efforts you're making on behalf of women. And, you know, I definitely support and champion what you are doing. I know we've got a long way to go, but I feel like we've got some momentum. So that's great. I agree. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Looking for more inspiration, advice, and direction? Subscribe to our free daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On The Dot where we provide you with the tools and motivation you need to get out there and be the badass you are meant to be. Tune into next week's episode when our editor, Sheena Sharma, takes the reins to bring you her interview with Nicole Centeno, founder of Splendid Spoon, helping consumers change their relationship with food. We're focused on your success, so let us know what you think by chatting with us at On The Dot Woman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd love to hear your voice.